All right, please take your Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. We are going to be looking at a probably one of the most controversial passages in not just Timothy, but in all of the Bible, in 1 Timothy chapter 2. And I want to be just as clear as I can when I share this message with you, forthright, you know, speaking the truth in love. Uh, but it's imperative that we understand the spiritual dynamics, that there is a spiritual war going on. Satan is at war with the church. If you've been in ministry, you know Satan will attack you in various ways. And that's why you got to put on the whole armor of God. Amen. It's a real spiritual war. But there's also an assault, not only against God's, you know, the church, but there's a, an assault against his word and the roles that he's given us as men and women that are, are, uh, that are supposed to complement one another. We believe here at Blessed Hope Chapel in the theology of complementarianism. That means male and female complement each other perfectly, beautifully before God. And that's what this scripture, this passage is dealing with is the order of the church and ministry in the church and so forth. And we're in 1 Timothy chapter 2. And it's really neat because as we're going through chapter 1 and 2, uh, you know, different subjects come up whereby the Lord helps us to jump into things. And this is something we definitely need to jump into because this has become incredibly controversial in just the last few months, the subject that we're going to be talk, talking about. And then the title of this message is called Women Pastors, What Does God Say? And we're specifically looking at verses 11 through 14. And uh, it's not like a, a, a issue that men and women are fighting over because there are plenty of women that believe that women aren't to be pastors. In fact, I think all the women in our fellowship and thousands and tens of thousands of other fellowships uh, hold the same convictions. Uh, now, but it's a controversial issue, even though in the church for the last almost, you know, 2,000 years, it hasn't even been an issue until recently, just like allowing homosexuality in the church hasn't been an issue. But because the church always tends to, or the people that are not standing for the truth, tend to want to conform to the world uh, the way the world goes, a lot of the church goes, or the professing church, that is. And we need to get this down and understand what the scriptures say about this. Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. It says, A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, but I do not allow women to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman, being deceived, fell into transgression. But women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. Father God, we pray again in your son's name that you would use the text of scripture to just speak to our hearts and that we'd have open hearts to your word and that we'd stand fast in your word in these times. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, uh, this passage is very important. And uh, this is one of those passages that you kind of, a lot of pastors, they just kind of read through it and you know, depending on their viewpoint, they kind of just either just keep going or they mention a couple things and so forth. But there is a real war going on right now. And, and by the way, understand, because God gives us different roles doesn't mean there's a hierarchy in regard to, you know, equality as far as our humanity before God. That's where a lot of people uh, get messed up. They think if you have a certain role and you're supposed to do a certain role that God's given you, but you don't have that role, you know, or vice versa, that you're somehow less than the other sex, which is ridiculous. Uh, the Bible says God's made, made all of us male and female in his image, amen? And that much, that needs to be emphasized. All of us are created in the image of God, amen? Male and female. We are equal as male and female at the foot. We share the same humanity. We just have different roles. I love Galatians 3.28. Listen to this. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. Man, there's neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. What's he saying there? He's saying in Christ, as part of the body of Christ, God's not making a distinction relative to our value to him, relative to our salvation, relative to us being created in his image as humanity, as his image bearers. Uh, there, we're not supposed to uh, show prejudice based on uh, sex or, or gender. We're not supposed to be prejudiced based on social standing. We're not supposed to be prejudiced based on racial makeup. We all share the same blood from Adam. Amen? Amen. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing uh, to behold what the Lord has done. 
So it's very, very important to understand that in Christ we're all one. However, that doesn't mean that there aren't various roles for the different sexes. Obviously, uh, a lot of people are saying it was something that was out there for a little while, last just two, three months ago, that a, a statement that was made by some political activist that men can get pregnant, you know. And uh, of course, she's referring to, well, how? You know, it's a good question. If you're a woman, you can pretend you're a man or claim to be a man and take, you know, puberty blockers when you're young, if, you can, if you've got enough time, or you can have sexual operation and if, if you're a woman and then claim to be a man. But maybe you can you still have your, your uterus and you can have a baby, therefore you claim to be a man, but you've had a baby. But it's not really a man because the woman still doesn't have a prostate. She doesn't, she, genetically there's XX and man's XY chromosome. It's not true biblically, it's not true scientifically. So it's wrong for, but it's wrong for men to be, want to become women. And a lot of men would, I could tell you right now, if they had an operation whereby men can get pregnant, millions perhaps, hopefully it's not millions, but a lot of men would be becoming, you know, pregnant and so forth in their homosexual relationships and what have you. And it's just not natural. It's not the way God made it. And, and just as it's wrong, and there's no, biblically, there's no such thing as a, a pregnant man. Biblically, there's also no such thing as a woman pastor, okay? Because God doesn't recognize it as such, even if you could perform such a uh, debauched operation on someone uh, and then maybe put a baby in them temporarily from someone else and then they could claim it was their own because they have some kind of birthing process. I better shut up. I don't want to give them any ideas, you know? But man, it's just, it's really, really sad. Uh, and my heart breaks for people that are caught up because a lot of these people, are, they don't realize there's spiritual warfare going on. There's thoughts being put in their minds, unnatural thoughts from the demonic world. Uh, many of them are saying there's more than, remember Prince, he said his name was no longer Prince because there's more than one person that lives in him. He doesn't know if it's male or female. Remember that? A lot of times it's possession, call, you know, they, them, we're more than one. I'm not sure what I am or what have you. Not always, I'm not saying it's always possession, but it's, a lot of times it's a demonic thing. Many of these people have been molested when they were children. If you go and you study the, home, the, the history of homosexuality, uh, most people that have been uh, struggling with those kinds of situations were, were really abused, you know? So people that are in those kinds of situations we want to recognize Jesus died for them and love them and pray for them and care for them, amen? But, that, but you don't want to compromise God's word and what he has to say about these issues. In fact, before you even get to chapter two, and he deals with the, women, the role of women here and so forth, and, he, and he, ex he exemplifies the beauty of the woman's role and talks about them being saved through childbearing. What does that mean? You know, we're not gonna have time to get into verse 15. We're gonna get into verse 15 next time we're in Timothy together uh, because that, that, I wanna do a whole message on that. It's really, really powerful because of the, the beauty of what God's called women to. Women have a far more awesome role than men as women. Men have their role as men. But I'll tell you what, uh, women that are walking in the role, there's a beauty to it. There's a, a, a symmetry, a, a femininity, a, a beauty, you know. Uh, and we say it's not, there's not, you know, I use the example of denim and silk, you know. Silk is incredibly beautiful. Men are not silk. They're not eloquent and effeminate and, and beautiful like, or a champagne glass versus the man like a root beer mug. Okay, the Rupert Mark's hard to chip, but hey, man, but man the, 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 I would say that, I would say, you know, price-wise, but ultimately it's not like one against the other. They just, we complement one another. And there's a real beauty to that, that we lose when you start having men dress like women and women dress like men, and it becomes like a circus. And right now, as we speak, there's all kinds of people trying to get, you know, a lot of homosexuals and so forth, trying to get transvestitism in the schools, they're doing that. They're, they're instead of clowns now, which that, I didn't even have clowns when I was a little kid in my school, but they're having trans transvestites read stories and so forth. This is grooming. They're grooming our children. And it's really, really heartbreaking. And there's a spiritual war going on. And you have to be very, very aware of it. But you want to know what the scriptures say. Because you can't say, you know, this is right or wrong unless you know what God's word says. But when you go to 1 Timothy chapter 1, even before you get to chapter 2, look at verses 8 and 9. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, realizing the fact that the law is not made, verse 9, for a righteous person, 
but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, verse 10, and for immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. So God calls us to remain heterosexual, not homosexual. The, the word there in the Greek means literally man, men better, to bed with other men, you see, in the Greek. And it's actually used, it's, a, it's used from the Old Testament Greek Septuagint. The Septuagint was a Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. And they translated it with a word that means men betters because it said they're not supposed to, a, a man is not to lay with another man as he is to lay with a woman. So Paul, it seems, because we don't see this word anywhere in, in, uh, uh, until you get to uh, the Septuagint and you get to the Apostle Paul who actually puts the word together the two Greek words together. Uh, and he's letting us know that men, you weren't created to be with other men because that's what women were created for. And you're taking the woman's role in taking men and being with men. No, those men were made to marry the women. So Paul is not wanting the men to try to usurp the woman's role and then also degrade himself by being with another man. Uh, a man and a woman being together, it creates life. Men and men together, I mean, there's always these different diseases, whether it was AIDS before or monkeypox more recently, so-called, that are associated with just this kind of behavior. It doesn't bring forth life. It brings forth death. And the mortality rate for homosexuals is heartbreakingly low. You know, there's warnings on the cigarette, packs of cigarettes. The Surgeon General warns that you can get cancer and die if you smoke these. Homosexuality is not given with a warning, even though the mortality rate is incredible, the lowness of the mortality rate. Now, it's interesting because Paul here uh, is using the Old Testament and, and, and he's saying this is the law. But he mentions homosexuality in Romans chapter 1, being a, he says unnatural, women with women and men with men. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10, you know, he makes it really, really, really clear. Uh, but also, men are not supposed to try to be like women and by dressing like women. In Deuteronomy 22, verse 5, it says, A woman must not put on men's clothing, and a man must not wear women's clothing. Anyone who does this is detestable in the sight of the Lord your God. God was serious when he made us differently, with different proclivities. Now, guess what? We're fallen. We're created in God's image, but we fell into sin. And that's just really destroyed us. We're created in his visage, his image, and, and that image is now marred and broken, and we're influenced by that fallen nature from head to toe. That's why we need redemption in Christ, amen? And we talk about often how, I like to say, we're in double trouble. We're, we're guilty of sin, so we deserve wrath. And number two, our, our nature is all messed up. But the cross and the gospel is a double cure, amen? Through the cross, we're forgiven and no longer condemned, Amen? Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord Jesus. And not only that, we're also transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Amen? And, and, but, Paul, but, but the scriptures warn that we're not to, and this is the very things the scriptures talk about in both testaments. People see these things going around. It's like, what's going on here? What's happening? We didn't see this coming. No, we did see it was coming. Jesus said in the last days, it would be like the days of Lot, Right? Days of Sodom and Gomorrah, you know? And Paul warned, listen to this in 1 Corinthians 6, 9. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not receive neither fornicators. Now the Greek word perneo there speaks of all kinds of sexual immorality. And what follows on this list is different types of sexual immorality. Uh, specifically, uh, nor idolaters. A lot of the idolatry in, in biblical times this was associated with sexual sin as well. Nor adulterers, men cheating on their wives or wives cheating on their husbands. Nor effeminate, effeminate. What does it mean to be effeminate? Nor homosexuals, it goes on to mention drunkards and thieves and extortioners and so forth, will not inherit the kingdom of God. And thankfully, in verse 10, I love, he says, and such were some of you, right? But it talks about how they were saved, amen. They were washed you know, they were, they were sanctified. They were justified. Amen. 
in the name of Jesus, by the Spirit of our God. So such were some of you on this list. And that means some who were homosexual were now Christians. Some who were adulterers were now Christians. Some who were effeminate were now in the church at Corinth. And they had been effeminate. That's a different Greek word than the word for homosexual, which means men bedders, men that bed other men. The word right before that is malakos. Transliteration would be M-A-L-A-K-O-S. Malakos. Malakos. And uh, it's a, 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 the alpha there twice, and I think it's omicron, so os, malakos. And it's interesting, that particular Greek word, uh, we don't have to wonder what it referred to. And I gave a study on this some time ago where I quoted different historians that were first and second century historians to point out the usage of what this word meant. And I've got a couple historians here. One was the same, but I'm using totally two different quotes now. So it's a little bit, it's, it's fresh and the Lord gets this in our hearts. Uh, but before I quote them, I want to quote the, the, the BDAG, they call it, or the, you know, uh, the Bible Dictionary of Ancient Greek. Uh, it's a great authority for the Greek language. And it says of this word malakos, pertaining to being passive in a same-sex relationship, effeminate, especially of catamites, of men and boys who are sodomized by other males. Okay? And often it referred to the one who took the female position in a homosexual relationship. It could refer to a male prostitute. I think the RSV translates it as male prostitute. That's way too limited because it didn't just refer to male prostitutes. Not a very good translation there. Another translation uh, translates it to the perverted. That's, that's a bad translation because it's not too narrow. Like the RSV, it's too broad. It's, more, it's not just perverted. It's speaking of a specific type of perversion. And it's interesting here because when we look at this, the historian Josephus, when he's commenting on Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1, which speaks of those who self-mutilate themselves, men self-mutilate themselves sexually, he says, to flee from those who have deprived themselves of their manhood and its fruit. By reason, he's a first century historian, same time as Paul lived. By reason of the effeminacy of their soul, interesting, by reason of the effeminacy, uh, the, uh, Feminacy of their soul, they have changed the sex of their body also. This is a new, guys. They didn't have the surgery they have today, but they were trying to do this stuff. This is from his Antiquities, Antiquities Volume 4, page 290 and 291. Philo, the popular Jewish philosopher and uh, commentator on the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 21, verse 3, lived right around the time of Josephus and a little later, states that, quote, if a man's test, and he's quoting, Deuteronomy, he's referencing Deuteronomy 23.1, which states, quote, if a man's testicles are crushed or his penis is cut off, he may not be admitted into the assembly of the Lord. And he goes on to state, those who belie their sex, those who purposely do this to themselves and are affected with effemination for it expels those whose sex organs are fractured or mutilated. And restamp, listen to this, and restamp the masculine cast, the masculine cast that God's given them, into a feminine form. You following this? I can't believe we're talking about this kind of stuff at church. This is stuff that we need to talk at church. It's absolutely relevant to what's going on today. And God wants our minds to be renewed. And he wants us to be in, standing in the word of God. Amen. And understand what God's word says. So uh, Philo used the word malakos, and he talks about men who uh, shave themselves to be soft like women and put on cosmetics to look like women and so forth. So the malakos, the word is used in the first and second century in the Greek of those who are on the receiving side and act like women in homosexual relationships, but not exclusively as calamites, male prostitutes referred to them too. It was also used of men who would use cosmetics and try to dress effeminately. So it's very important to understand What's happening today isn't anything new. And it's part of the second coming of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, so it's wrong for men to do that. It's also wrong for women 
to want the man's role, okay? Uh, women, God has given you so much to do, right? <laughs> Men, God's given you so much to do. Let's stay in our lanes and let's compliment one another, amen? We don't want, need two moms or two dads. We need a mother and a father in a home, amen? In the church, we need men and women. And we, women have certain leadership roles in the church too. Uh, women just went to a beautiful women's retreat, amen? Says older women teach younger women. And they got incredibly blessed. And we walk in our lanes and it's really, really beautiful and powerful. Now back to 1 Timothy 2.12. But I do not allow a woman, he says two things here, two things that are prohibited. And women can do pretty much everything the men can do. But they're prohibited, these two things. Uh, he says, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. And by the way, if someone think quiet, that means I can't say a word in church. No. Paul says, or Peter says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, using the same exact Greek word, uh, that women, when their husbands aren't are disobedient to the word, that they can win them without a word, amen, with quietness. And that's the same word. Does that mean absolute quietness, that women walk around like this and they don't say a word ever? No, he's not talking about that. He's talking about not arguing, right? But it's interesting that here Paul states two things. Women are not to teach, number one, women are not to teach Bible doctrine to men, okay, uh, in a public way in a church setting. Number two, they're not to exercise authority over Christian men. Okay, that means the role, speaks of the, uh, the role of eldership, which he's going to get into in a few verses, saying that that's a role that belongs to men. It's as clear as can get. I don't know how any of this can get much clearer. Yet at the same time, in this last year and then this year, you know, uh, last year, Rick Warren, uh, before he stepped down or as he was stepping down, he appointed three women as pastors at Saddleback Church. Okay. And Rick Warren, uh, his Facebook declared, quote, yesterday, this is in 2021, was a historic night for Saddleback Church in many ways. The Southern California Megachurch's Facebook page announced on May 8th, quote, we ordained our first three women pastors, Liz Puffer, Cynthia Petty, and Katie Edwards. Uh, now, it's interesting because this year at the Southern Baptist Convention, the largest Protestant denomination in the United States, at least it was a few years back. I don't know if some of God had passed them. I think they've, some of God passed them when it comes to the world some time ago. But a uh, very big convention. And at the Southern Baptist Convention, Al Mohler laid into the delegates there because of allowing and giving Rick Warren a pass. And uh, he rebuked them, uh, the, the, the uh, credentials committee, because Rick Warren was pushing women pastorship and uh, he stood against that. Al Mohler is one of the most authoritative voices in the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, just recently, at, as of last month, T.D. Jakes, right? Who, by the way, has espoused oneness, Pentecostalism, denying the Trinity in the past, you see, who runs with a lot of prosperity teachers, word faith gospel, false gospel, and so forth, but very popular among many professing Christians uh, at the final women thou art loosed conference uh, which concluded on September 24th just you know not long ago right I mean less than a month ago uh, he basically T.D. Jakes he basically ordained his daughter Pastor Sarah so-called Pastor Sarah uh, Jacob Roberts and we read that the 65-year-old Jake called his daughter on stage saying he was walking or she was walking in her destiny and he poured oil on her and she laid on the stage for a long period of time becoming the new pastor there. What in the world is happening, guys? This is all happening right now. But it contradicts the clear teaching of the Word of God. And uh, where do you draw the line? I draw the line we're, I don't draw it at all. I just agree with where God's drawn the line. Amen? That's what we need to do. And we need to know Father knows best. Amen? And this is very, very important uh, that we understand this. And I think uh, the Bible says in Romans 3, 4, I love this verse, let God be true and every man a liar. Amen? We have to stick to God's word. You know, and if Jesus is really our Lord, Right? We're going to accept his word, amen? Is he really Lord in your life? Or do you want to make it up and just put things that you want to make up church and, and, and make it up as you go? We don't want to do that. So I want to look at seven or eight things that 
are popular uh, or different ways, not some are more popular than others, but different, different rebuttals to what Paul says here. Different rebuttals to the clear teaching of scripture here. Ways to get around what Paul's saying. Ways that people say, well, really, maybe Paul meant this, or he could be saying that. By the way, that wasn't happening for almost 2,000 years, right? Just like on the issue of homosexuality. Look at church history. Look at church history. Uh, this is a Johnny-come-lately argument that's been taking place where it's gotten any kind of traction, that is, in the churches. And that's because the church is being conformed to the world. We're warned not to be conformed to the world, amen? But be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And number one, some will say, well, this was not really, you know, a, a biblical doctrine that Paul was laying out. This was basically Paul's opinion. He's just giving an opinion. It's not really a doctrine, really. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, the first few verses. Look at specifically at verse 3. Remember why he, he stated he had, was writing to Timothy. We already looked at this before, but in the context of this message. As I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus, Paul says to Timothy, so that you may instruct certain men not to what? Teach strange doctrines. Teach strange doctrines. He recognizes that it's men that are teaching in the church, and those men are not to teach strange doctrines, and their doctrine is to be solidified. He warns in 1 Timothy 4.1 about the doctrines of demons that will come in the last days. It's, under, it's important to understand that Paul is writing the word of God here. These aren't, you know, the second book of opinions, you know. These are, this is the word of God we're reading. Amen? So that's one thing I wanted to clear up. Number two, another claim is that, well, Paul is speaking to the church there at Ephesus, and, and women in Paul's day were not educated. You know, they weren't educated like some of the men were, therefore they weren't to be elders or pastors at that time. But since women are educated, what Paul says there is no longer relevant, no longer valid, so we can ordain pastors in uh, the churches. Uh, the problem with that argument is that Paul's argument is not based on education, but rather on creation. His argument is not made on education, but on creation. In fact, go back to 1 Timothy 2.12 now. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet, verse 13. For it was Adam who was what? First created and then Eve. Amen? Are you with me tonight? He's making it based on the creation order. God did this on purpose because he wanted to show who would lead. And Eve was given as, uh, as his helpmate made to compliment him. Equal, you know, both blessed in various ways. I say that women have more meaningful uh, humanity sometimes than men. Often today, that's for sure true. Because I know, I, I'll watch, you know, us guys will be hanging out, we watching a football game or something, talking about a, a piece of big pigskin that people are throwing around and get all excited about it. A woman will walk in with a new baby, a precious gift of God, and the women will all gravitate toward her. And they'll recognize the beauty of that baby and, and, and how powerful that is. And I thought, because I've seen that happen before, and I'm like, and I was interested in whatever game I was watching, but I'm like, there's a baby there, and look at what the women are doing. I go, who has their priorities right right now, you know? <laughs> and women actually, the baby comes to the woman, and there's something incredibly powerful about that. It's not limited to just bringing babies in. The world is precious and powerful and as beautiful as that is, but womanhood is absolutely mind-boggling. It's amazing, but they, we're supposed to compliment one another again. But Paul's argument is not based on education, but on creation. Amen? And you can't trump that. He's basically saying God did this on purpose and God created man and woman this way with the forethought also of what he would do in the church, which would be the body of Christ and would be the bride of Christ. A kind of a, a also a, a kind of a gender kind of thing as far as the picture is concerned. Now it's also interesting uh, that listen to what the scriptures say in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 8 and 9. For man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. For indeed, man was not created for the woman's sake, 
but women for the man's sake. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I said, I say 14, it's chapter 11, verses 8 and 9. By the way, well, it's because the men are ed more educated, the women aren't really educated. Guys, were Jesus' apostles formerly educated, most of them? No, they weren't. So that argument doesn't hold any water. In fact, it said they were unlearned men. That's why the, the Pharisees and the scribes were tripping out on these guys, you know, because they were unlearned men, you know. Uh, Paul was a learned man. Uh, but he was born, an apostle born out of uh, due time, the scriptures say. So that's the second argument that is jettisoned down. By the way, you just read the scriptures clearly. It's very clear right there, right? Why try to read into it and get around it? You know what I'm saying? And also number three, another objection is not based on, you know, opinion versus doctrine or education versus creation, which the scriptures on the side of the traditional view, which is a biblical view. The other, another argument is geography, you see. You see, there in Ephesus, and uh, I did a, uh, we did a seven-part series at last men's retreat, uh, not our men's retreat, we did one up in New York for a bunch of men that followed Good Fight and Blessed Hope's ministry. Awesome group of men up there, and it's in the snow and everything, and we're doing another one, we're getting this next year up there for them. And uh, Chad and I took them through the seven churches. And there at Ephesus, they had a huge temple for Artemis, and the main practitioners that were leaders of the cult of Artemis, which was a very grotesque cult that, that involved, you know, men taking their, cutting their members off, all kinds of weird things to worship Artemis, was led by women. So some say, well, what's going on there? As you see, it's just a specific problem that Paul is dealing with, and it's really geographical. It's because Paul is dealing with the church at Ephesus, and the church at Ephesus is, you know, uh, the, a lot of the people there worship Artemis and a lot, those are women leaders so a lot of women leaders were trying to emulate them and so forth and it was just messed up so God's saying don't do that here just because it's this area. Well, background studies don't show, we don't know, have any evidence that this was actually happening to the church at Ephesus that there were Artemis practitioners trying to be leaders there or what have you but uh, even more importantly is uh, this doesn't make any sense. That's like saying where a a, a deity where men lead the, the, the uh, pagan worship, don't have the men be pastors there because there's men that lead our priests in the temple there. That would make no sense at all. And I think uh, a, a better point or another point along those lines is, look at 1 Timothy 2.8, back up just a few verses. Before Paul says what he says to the women, he says that I want the men in every place, in what? Every place to pray, lift up holy hands without wrath and dissension. When he's talking like this, he's not saying, hey, what I'm saying here just has to do with your local area, you know? He's saying, hey, this is doctrine that I'm giving to the church, you know? It's applicable everywhere, not just at the church of Ephesus. That's like saying when Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he warned that homosexual won't inherit God's kingdom. Well, that's just for the church of Corinth, you know? Well, but he wrote it for the Romans too. Uh, well, it's just for the Corinthians and the Romans. It's homosexual is acceptable elsewhere. Those would be ridiculous arguments that don't hold weight. Amen? Am I going too fast or am I going at a good pace for you? Good pace? Praise God. I intend to go fast. If I'm going too fast, just I won't be offended. Just put up your hand. Say, you're going too fast. And I'll slow down for you a little bit. I might speed up again. You might have to do what my wife does. Oh, slow down again. Okay. Uh, not that she does that all the time. But it's interesting because, uh, so that argument, that just, just doesn't hold water. A fourth argument. Another way they get around the clear teaching of Scripture, they try to get around the clear teaching of Scripture, is to say, oh, well, you know what? God used women throughout Scripture. And we say, hallelujah, praise God, amen. He wants to use us all. He's using women today. He uses us in different ways. But we say, say I have authority beyond what God's called me to. For instance, the murder of maybe by now 70 million babies almost, that's I have authority over my body. Well, really your body was created in the image of God. You should come to Christ and recognize your body should be the temple of the Holy Spirit and it's bought with a price and you belong to God if you become a Christian. But either way, by divine fiat and creation, you, you belong to God. We don't have authority beyond what he gives us. And we don't have authority to cross certain lines and kill people and murder innocent kids, whether they're nine months or 11 months. 
or six or seven months or one month or two or whatever. So, uh, but yeah, God used women in scripture and praise God, we praise God for that. Amen? That's a wonderful, beautiful thing. Look, he used Deborah because Barak, you know, wouldn't step up. And he used Deborah as one of the judges. Praise God, amen. And that was because Barak was being a what? A coward. And God did that to shame him. Amen? But we never read that God says, because of that, therefore you can disobey what I've written here in regard to women pastors. Are you with me? That's a weak argument. You know, it's like taking, you know, uh, bringing somebody, bringing their donkey up, saying, Joe, I want him to preach today. Uh, but, but do you see what happened in the Old Testament? I want him to be the new pastor. And donkeys might be better pastors than some men in certain churches, that's for sure. At least they're not teaching false doctrines, right? <laughs> you know? Uh, but, but you can't say, oh, because that happened over there. That wasn't the same thing as making a donkey a pastor. Amen? Sometimes I go off my notes, I use strange illustrations, but that's probably a good one to use. <laughs> but it, does, it just doesn't work. It doesn't, doesn't work. And so that's just ridiculous argument. Uh, now, it's interesting because Paul also states not just that the woman was, that the man was created first, but he also warns that the woman was deceived. Let's go back to the text in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11, a woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, but did not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. Now look at what he says. And it was not Adam who was what? Deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Isn't that interesting? Because Adam seems to have abdicated his role because he was there with her. So she gave to her husband who was with her. But she was the first one deceived. And it says she was quite deceived. In fact, it says she was deceived, not him. He did it knowing he was going to die. She did it thinking that she could beat God's, that God may have been holding out on her. And what's interesting is she basically stepped out of her role and when you step out of your role as a man or a woman, you open yourself up to deception. And what do we see right now throughout the New Age movement? How many of the leaders are women in the occult? Palm readers, right? Psychics and so forth. When women step out of the role that God's given them, they open themselves up to the satanic and dark powers. I mean, that's very, very evident. You just see it all around the world right now. You know, way back, was in the 50s, 60s with Jane, Jean Dixon. Some of you are too young to remember her name, but she was a big psychic. And ever since, you've seen all these psychics and fortune tellers and gypsies, and so often uh, Satan uses these women. And it's saying, hey, they're wanting a spiritual authority. And women often seek to be spiritual more than men. And that's good if you're seeking the Holy Spirit, <laughs> if you're seeking the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen, if you're seeking Jesus, that's beautiful, that's, because then that's, in the right, that, that's where you're supposed to be. It's a beautiful thing, amen? So it's very, very important that we get this. Now, uh, but to say, you know, in this argument, this, this, this fourth argument, uh, that, you know, uh, this, they, they basically state, state based, contradicting the clear teaching of Scripture, right, uh, that women, since women were used in these certain ways that, uh, in the past and so forth, that they could be pastors. It doesn't work, uh, as I've given uh, numerous reasons why. Uh, in fact, God's given women an incredible role. Look at chapter 2, verse 15. And we're going to look at this text in more depth another time. But I, I just love this. And it, when you know what this text means, it's one of those beautiful verses. I love this verse of the Bible. I wept before God when I, I finally understood what it meant because I've heard so many people exegete it. I've never sat with me, and I myself didn't understand it for the first years of my ministry. But women will be preserved through the bearing of children. And many say, oh, it means they'll have dignity or they'll, you know, but there's something else going on there. They'll be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. That verse, when, as a woman, if you understand that verse, you start to understand how important your role is, whether you have children or not. 
the role of women, whether it's married women or single women, in the body of Christ, in building up Timothy's, like Eunice and Lois did, uh, Lois did, Eunice and Lois, <laughs> Eunice and Lois, mother and grandmother, uh, had a special role in Timothy's life before Paul ever got a hold of him. He was already a man of God. He just had to be matured through Paul. And God builds his army through men and women in their proper roles. And it's really, really powerful. Now, number five, another way they try to sidestep the scripture to claim uh, that, well, Paul doesn't, maybe isn't really saying what he seems to be saying there. This role is to say, in verse 12, let's read it and then see what they say here. Uh, 1 Timothy 2.12, but I do not allow a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. They say, well, the word woman there could be translated husband or, or wife, and the way man there could be translated husband. And it's true, they could be translated husband and wife because those Greek words can mean that, although you don't typically see that in translations because those Greek words fundamentally or basically have a broader meaning, not just husband and wife. Okay, so they want to say, well, what it's saying here is that, you know, I don't allow a woman, a wife, to teach or exercise authority over uh, her husband, but to remain quiet. What makes no sense, though, think about it. She's, it's, oh, it's really saying just the woman's not supposed to exercise authority and teach the man in the house. But the man can come to church, sit in the front row, and then she could have authority over him and teach him, her husband. That just makes no sense at all. By the way, the reason the translations typically translate it woman and man there is because the Greek words often mean women and men, and it fits the context. Because the same Greek words are used, a couple verses earlier, for woman and man. Go to verse 8. Therefore I want men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. Should we say, well, really that means husbands? Same word. I want husbands to pray, lifting up hands everywhere? You think Paul's saying just husbands are supposed to pray, lift up their hands without dissension? You think that's what he's saying there? No, nobody thinks that. But it's the same exact Greek word as man in, the next, in verse 12. And then look at verse, which I think is interesting, verse 9. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly, discreetly, and so forth. And that's the same word for woman. So we want, that should be, then that should be wife there. So only wives are supposed to dress modestly and not single women. Are you seeing the futility of that? See how they keep trying to, what they're doing is they're committing the, the, the sin, and it is a sin. Sometimes it's, 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 people getting just zealous and so forth. But when you commit eisegesis and you read in the text things that aren't there because you don't want certain things to be the way they are because you want God's word to say what you want it to say and not what he has it saying, that's sin. And we have to be about exegesis, which is getting out from the text, deriving from the text, and properly exercise uh, hermeneutics, the, the science of biblical interpretation, the art of biblical interpretation, uh, biblically, what does the text say? Lord, we want, to look at, we want to approach the word of God, fearing God. He's the creator of the entire universe. He's the one that gave us his word. We don't dare trifle with his word. We stand before him on the day of judgment, amen? Give an account for our lives. We got to fear him and love him. And we got to love him and praise him for his word and not try to change it, amen? So this argument makes no sense at all. Uh, and by the way, if you look at 3.1, 1 Timothy chapter 3, 1, who is, now there's no, there's no, there's no chapter breaks, as you know, 1 Timothy chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, there's not chapters, it's just the letter would continue. So Paul's talking about the role of women and men, and not, women not to teach men or have authority over them, and then when you hit to chapter 3, verse 1, it's just a continuation without a chapter break in the letter, you'd keep reading. It's a trustworthy, trustworthy statement if every, any man aspires to the office of overseer, right? An elder, an overseer. If any what? If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. And pray, I praise the Lord for the elders in this fellowship. An overseer, he says, then must be, well, maybe that man, word man right there could refer to women too. No, can't. You know why I know that? Look at the next, very next verse. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of what? One wife. He's talking about men. Very, very clear here, guys. I mean, some people make their arguments on 1 Timothy 2.12 and they stick there, but man, read the broader context. It even gets stronger. Now he's calling men to leadership. Jesus didn't call, you know, 
when he called his apostles to lead, he didn't call six men and six women. He called 12 male apostles. Leadership is male in the Bible, okay? Now, it doesn't mean all leadership is male. Older women teach younger women, amen? You know, mothers are to guide their households and so forth and, and love their children and encourage them and so forth. And, and those are the troops that we're supposed to, the women are supposed to raise up that are going by the wayside these days because everybody's out of the roles. And there's all kinds of latchkey kids and all kinds of kids that don't know the difference between male and female and are being jaded by social media and uh, some of the government schools. And it's just heartbreaking and it really makes you want to throw up actually. In uh, Titus chapter one, verses five and six, Paul says, for this reason, writing to another pastor, not Timothy, but Titus, for this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife having children who believe not accused of dissipation and rebellion. Now it's interesting, Paul actually makes a distinction between the role of an elder and then the role of a woman in chapter two which we'll read a few of those verses at another, a little bit later because it's really powerful. Number six, another argument. Uh, well, Paul's excluding women at Artemis. It's kind of like similar to the pagan priest deal or the pagan practitioners at Artemis, uh, of Artemis, but a little bit different because it was women who were seeking political power in the church, you know, and, and Paul was opposing uh, their political power in the church. And, and Paul was coming against it as a local issue again. It's a local issue. It's not really Artemis so much. It's, it's political power. But none of this, by the way, none of these arguments, you guys, nada, not a single argument that's used is being derived at all from the text. Not at all. And by the way, again, this is not just, you know, for the local church for a little while. Because look at 1 Timothy a few verses later in chapter 3, verse 15. What does Paul say? He says to Timothy, and this is just after he mentions what the woman's role is, the man, men's role and so forth, and he says, but in case I am delayed, I write to you, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in what? The household of God, which is the church of the living God the pillar and support of the truth. This is supposed to be how the church is to operate. And Paul's letters, as you know, were meant to be read in the other what? Churches, he tells the church at Colossae to basically copy what I've written to you and have that, or have others, he says, read what I've written to you, the other churches. So Paul knew that these would be read. He was writing the word of God. In fact, even Peter, who was rebuked by the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 2, he was rebuked by Paul because he had, uh, you know, was hanging out with the Gentiles, eating with them, which was unlawful for the Jews based on their customs and their teachings. And when certain Judaizers came who believed he had to be circumcised but claimed to be Christians, Peter withdrew from them, acted like he wasn't with them. And Peter, Paul rebukes him. He says, he called him, said, you're, you're being hypocritical. Because you eat with the Gentiles and hang out with a fellow like you're a Gentile. But when the Jews come, you act like you're not doing that. And you're compromising the message of the gospel. And then Peter says of Paul, I can't believe Paul did that to me. No. He says these false teachers in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Now he's dealing with not with Judaizers, but libertines. He says these false teachers, they twist Paul's writings as they do all the scriptures. He called Paul's writing scripture right? And Paul knew that he was writing scripture by the power of the Holy Spirit and that this, the doctrine that's supposed to be taught in the household of God, here we are, amen, in the household of God, applying his teachings uh, to our lives, amen? Another argument is, well, you know, it's just for the, that generation, the first generation of the church that where Paul's pastoring there or, or as an apostle. And yeah, it's probably for all the churches, but you know, it's just a generational thing and God was gonna have us just change with the times and, and, and the, the teaching would change later and God knew that was happening and we all evolve, you know, and guess what? And on, on, on. Really? Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. 
You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust these to faithful men who will be able to what? Teach others also. Hmm. Look at what he's saying there. Verse 2. The things which you have heard from me, like what he wrote in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men. You, you teach these to other men, right? Who will be able what? To teach others also. Amen? In other words, these teachings are to be passed on from men to other men. And this is, and by the way, it sounds a lot like Jesus said when he said to go make disciples in all the world, right? Baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to deserve all things that I've commanded you. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen? So the gospel continues to spread from generation to generation, from country to country. And so this isn't a limited thing. Well, the last one I want to point out is there are some say, well, since there are no differences between men and women, you know, there's no real differences. It doesn't matter if a woman pastors or not. Really, there's no differences between men and women? How many women here have had a prostate examination? Mm. I mean, that, you know, I could say how many men have had this or that, but that could be dangerous these days because there's all these sex changes going on, but we're different. It's not a scientific statement. It's not a biblical statement. Amen? We're, we're different. And, and praise God, I praise God that God made men and women. Life would be really terrible if it was just all men, okay? And women, you could agree, it would be kind of bad if it was all women too, right? You know? And I praise God uh, for, for women and I praise God for men. Just like I praise God for every racial expression that God's made. Because we're all made from Adam, right? And in the New Jerusalem, we're all going to be together. Every nation, kindred, people, and tongue praising God. People from every, every background are going to be there praising God together and loving one another and, and knowing that we're all equal in Christ Jesus. Amen? What a precious, precious reality. So there are radical differences. In fact, guess what? Satan wants to destroy the distinctions. This is important truth. Satan wants to destroy the distinctions. He wants, as Michael Jackson sang, you're just another part of me. He wants us to think that basically, and he, by the way, tried to look like a woman. Uh, as many, it, a lot of that happens. By the way, this is something really crazy. When you look at voodoo priests, you look at you know, sorcerers in the past and, and witch doctors and so forth, I, I, and I've studied that, and I've got books, and I've, I've studied ancient occultism. And what's interesting is oftentimes, not rarely, oftentimes the voodoo priest or what have you would begin to dress like a woman and act like a woman. And it was even considered wrong for the people to do that because inherently they knew it was wrong. But because this man had magical power basically working with demons, and they could be with boys. They could do all kinds of things to break laws because they were spiritual. Uh, isn't that interesting? And now our, our more current voodoo, voodoo priests, they would sing. They would do all kinds of things. They would be possessed by the loa, the spirit entities. Today now, a lot of the, how it's been going on since the 50s, little Richard dressing like a woman and, and Mick Jagger in the 60s and David Bowie in the 70s and on and on dressing like women, these men that are, and everybody looks to him and all of a sudden, you think this happened overnight? No, there's been a conditioning where the people that were being idolized up on stage, many of them that Satan was empowering who were into Satanism and stuff like that began to, all of a sudden, man, I'm like, I was a big Zeppelin fan, but I was always kind of tripped out because Robert Plant had this amazing voice and everything. If you're a Zeppelin fan, that's what you thought, you know? And, uh, but I thought, I used to be kind of tripped out, man, because I'm like, I'm a tough 16, 17-year-old kid, I think. And I'm like, man, I love this guy, man. I've got their posters all over my room, but I'd be like, he's got like, just the way he'd stand and stuff. I'd go, that's kind of weird, though, you know? And then the Physical Graffiti album, I'm like, how come they're dressed like women on this album? Then I heard some strange stories about Jimmy Page when he was in Japan, all these other things. Anyway, uh, that's, that's a bit of deception that's been going on a long time. It's been a programming to just totally disorientate us regarding our roles. Why is it so satanic? Well, God's created us male and female to reflect his glory, but also to reflect the gospel. Amen? Adam was made first because he's a picture of Christ. He's not Christ. He's, just, he's a picture, though. And Eve comes out of his side, even as 
she, he's put into a state of almost death, a deep sleep. And his side is opened up and he brings forth the woman. And you remember, you know, she's deceived and then she gives to her husband and he partakes the tree to, to stay, because he probably wants to stay with his wife. He knew he was going to die, but he, he wanted her. And we can't be absolutely sure that was the reason. That's just an opinion. I let you know when there's an opinion versus what the scriptures say. But guess what? Jesus went into a deep sleep, the sleep of death. With regard to another tree, the cross, you know that. And his side was opened up and water and blood came out. And that's what happens when a woman has a baby and it was through his death of the cross that the church was birthed, amen? And Adam and Eve were to reign or rule over the animals, right? The church and his bride, Christ, the second Adam, his bride, we will rule with him for a thousand years. And it says in later Revelation, forever and ever, amen? We're the bride of Christ. So God made the man and the woman in this divine romance that we call marriage to be a picture of his leadership over his church. And when you start destroying the image of the man and the woman, that Satan's attack on God and Christ, the plan of Christ and his bride and his plan of redemption. Satan hates that. He's, he hates that with a passion that we could be redeemed, that we could be saved. He wants to bring as many people down with him as possible. He is like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So he wants to destroy that picture that God has made of a man and a woman. Because we are supposed to, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Amen? He sacrificed himself for her. Well, you get rid of that picture, you get rid of all these millions and millions and millions of pictures of the gospel. You know how many people come to Christ because they see these long, beautiful relationships between husbands and wives? They're like, man, these guys have been together and all these other people are getting divorced, but you find out, wow, it's because this guy really loves Jesus and his wife really loves Jesus. And people come to Christ over and over again, every day, over and over again, because they see that picture. Satan wants to destroy that picture. And to me, that's one of the most important reasons why God's against women pastors. Because he's created a picture that you lose when you lose the effeminacy of the woman and she becomes more masculine in the masculine role. And the man who's supposed to be masculine becomes more effeminate and submits to the woman. And then the roles get reversed and are backwards. And if you know anything about Satanism, everything is turned upside down and backwards. That's what's going on today, you guys. And you know what? I know we dive into scripture and we dive into the, what's going on in the world and current events because guess what? We're about the word of God and we're about truth and we're about how it, does it apply today? What does it look like today? How does it relate to my life today? Amen? So how does this apply to your life and to my life? If you're a man, it's very simple. It doesn't take rocket science to apply this to your life. Don't seek to be a woman. Don't be effeminate. Even if you have temptations, recognize them as such. Temptations. If God made you a man, you have an XY, you have XY chromosomes, you are a man, right? Well, then you've been called to be a man. Now, you could have been sexually assaulted when you were young. A heart breaks for you if that's the case. And you could have homosexual thoughts because you were attacked when you were young and abused by an uncle or something and ended up in a sexual relationship you didn't want. But what happens is sometimes people, they're young and they grow older and they perpetuate the same sin. That was sin. It needs to be condemned as sin as to what happened to you. Don't perpetuate that sin on someone else. Amen? Whether they're, whether they're you know, consensual or not, it's still wrong in God's eyes. Don't seek to be the opposite sex and be with the same sex as a man. Amen? And if you're a man and you're married, make sure you take your role seriously as a man and that you love your wife and that you lay your life down for her. Amen? And that you're a servant leader to your wife and that you're a man of prayer and that you're an example to her and you're there for her and you're a picture of Christ to her and she can cry on your shoulder. She can, she can, you can hold her and let her know that you love her and that you're going to take care of her. You know, let's grow in those things. Amen? Satan's attacking all of our relationships one degree or another. But man, we have victory in Jesus if we stand on the rock, amen? Let's stand on the rock and be the men of God that he's called you to be. Provide for your family. Work hard, amen? Pray for your family. 
Well, the words that say pray for my family, it says it very clearly. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church he gave himself for. He prayed for his church over and over again, amen? Pray for your wife. Do you pray for your wife? Pray for her. Let's grow in these things, amen? And let's walk in our roles. Be leaders, be men, amen? Be leaders in the church. Say, hey, you know what? I'm gonna be a man of God. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be strong. I'm gonna build up the church. Don't, you know what? So many men are being robbed of the humanity because they're putting things before the Lord and his glory and they're living, they're just living for themselves and they're not living for the Lord anymore. Praise God, I'm glad you guys are here. I know why you're here and why you're tuning in by podcast because you want to serve the Lord. You want to love him. You want to walk with him. That's a beautiful thing, amen? And, 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 and women don't seek to be masculine. Don't seek the man's role. Don't seek to, you know, look like a man and be a man. That's just, that's heartbreaking because God, and you, many women were molested and, and they get confused on their orientation. I remember reading a book by, was it Michael Reagan? It was one of Ronald Reagan's sons. I don't want to get the names wrong because they're very different than each other. Uh, was it Michael? Yeah, and it was called Twice Adopted. And in that book, he talks about how when he was adopted by Ronald Reagan and his wife, uh, Nancy, Nancy wasn't his, Reagan's first wife, and he didn't get along with her. I guess he felt that Nancy really didn't want him much, or he wasn't, they'd send him away every summer, Michael said. And uh, he loved his dad and so forth, but, and his, I'm sure he loved his mom, but he got molested repeatedly over there in Hollywood Hills or what have you, when, because he's in some sports camp, and then the leader who would take the boys, hide and seek up in the hills, then he'd, they'd get all isolated, he'd take pictures of them naked, then he'd threaten to expose them if they said anything, and he molested them. And Michael Reagan was molested over and over again. And guess what? He was tempted later, as he stood on his lawn one day, he remember thinking, tempted to become a homosexual. But then he realized, I'm not a homosexual. He realized he was created to be a man. He said, no, I'm not going to go that direction. I'm not. And he decided to not go with the temptations. And he got married. And I don't know how many children he had, but he lived, and Liz lived as a man. Very conservative, uh, 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 talking head on the radio and stuff. I don't know. He still has a show. I don't know, Doug, you might know. Doesn't right now. He did for years, though. And a uh, conservative voice out there. And he was twice adopted. He was also adopted by the Lord, by, by the Father God in heaven. He became a Christian. That's why I got the book. But I was tripping out when I was reading the story. I'm like, whoa. And it shows you that dysphoria, that gender dysphoria that comes upon people when they're abused. And it's very destructive. And our hearts should, when we see people that are like that, we don't want to like throw rocks at them. We want to pray for them and Jesus died for them. Right? And we don't want to forget that, you know? Because we, we love grace when we get it, right? But what happens to us when somebody else, you know, we got to realize he, Jesus died for everyone. And our hearts should break for the people that are, are confused and so forth. Now, what we need to do is take a stand on truth and not move, amen? Be firm, but also be loving, amen? That's what God's called us to do. He's called us to be firm and humble and loving, Recognize it's by the grace of God that we go, that we could be in that situation, right? So pray for them, but do not approve of evil behavior. Understand? And women in 1 Timothy, my sisters and Lord, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, T Titus writes, I'm sorry, Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, but as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men to be temperate and dignified, sensible, and so forth. But notice what he says a little bit later. He says, older women in verse 3, likewise are to be reverent in their behavior. How do you apply this? You're reverent in your behavior. You fear God. And you have behavior that, that mirrors that. Not malicious gossips. You know how churches are destroyed? Not just women. Men can do it too. But sometimes women are malicious gossips and they start saying negative things, trying to cause dis. Uh, dissatisfaction, try to cause disunity among the believers. There's seven things, six but eight, even more, right, that God hates. And one of them is a brother that causes division. If you see someone causing division in the church, stand against it and say, you know what? That's satanic. Amen? Not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine. Don't be getting drunk. Teaching what is good. Women are to teach what is good. 
So they can teach and they're gifted to teach as well. Verse four, so that they may encourage the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure workers at home, kind, be subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be dishonored. So it's supposed to follow the leadership of their husbands and recognize that God has called men to leadership. Men, do your role. Be a servant leader. Recognize that she's equal with you, but you're the servant leader. And sisters, love your husbands and, and, and be like the bride is to Christ and respect him as the bride is to respect Christ. That's also in Ephesians 5. So let's walk in the roles that God's given us, amen? And let's be strong. And after this teaching, is this pretty clear? I mean, it probably, it's probably clear from the first time I read the verses to you. I hope it was. But as we look at the different arguments, they're pretty weak, aren't they? Why don't we just go with the clear teaching of the word of God, amen? And then we'll be in good ground. Every, all other ground is, is shifting sand, amen? But on Jesus, a solid rock, on him, we will stand, amen? Let's stand and pray.